And so really the stewardship that the scripture is speaking about concerns eternal things. Stewardship of the gospel. God has entrusted something to you. He has given you the gospel message and he wants you to use it for the glory of God. Why did Jesus come? To seek and to save the lost. What did he commission us to do? To go into all the world and make disciples, converts, preach the gospel to every person under creation. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three in the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, Are You Ready to Meet God? A day is coming when the door of salvation will be shut forever. The question is simple, are you ready to meet God? If not, you can't come on your own terms. You must come on His terms through the blood of the cross. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he concludes his sermon. So we have this picture of a wealthy landowner. He's going away on a journey. And the master, of course, represents the Lord Jesus. And he's leaving three servants in charge with his property. Verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. I think most of you understand, but just know that when the Bible uses the term talent, it's not using it the way we use it normally in English. A talent today might refer to, say, some super athlete or someone who can sing well or write a bestseller. Never used ever that way in Scripture. We even have a show. What was it called? America's um, Greatest Talent or... Uh, America's Got Talent. America's Got Talent, right? So, so we even use the term in that respect. We tend to think of this word talent as some exceptional human ability. Never used that way in Scripture. It's used to describe a weight. It's used to describe a weight. And normally that weight is expressed in monetary terms. It might be gold, it might be silver, it might be bronze. And the weight depends on the culture, just like the term dollar in different countries of the world has different values, even so the term talent in Babylon was different from Rome, different from Egypt, and different from a Jewish talent. But a Jewish talent, in fact, that it is a weight is clear. When you come to the end of the book of Revelation, you come to the, um, the sixth bowl, it describes these uh, hailstones that are 100 pounds each. So again, it is a weight, and sometimes it's in gold, but most often it was used in silver. And so what was the value of a silver talent? One silver talent in Jesus' day was worth 20 years of income. It was a significant amount of money. And if you had one talent, even that amount of money that most people on the earth at that time would never see at once in their entire life, you were considered to be very wealthy. So here's his master, in essence, handing over cash to manage, and they're giving different amounts, five talents to one, two to another, and one according to his ability, and he went on a journey. Now, let me just say parenthetically that many commentaries and some sermons that you might hear They tend to interpret this only in the practical respect, and they miss the whole context of the eternal. I don't think it's wrong necessarily to speak of the practical, that if God's given you some resource, that you use it wisely and well, and if you can multiply it, but that misses the whole point of the teaching. 
The teaching is in reference to things that are of eternal significance. When you come down to verse uh, 30, he'll say, throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, and that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if you know those idioms, outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, you know that those are idioms that are descriptive of the place of eternal wrath called hell. Outer darkness, unquenchable fire where the fire doesn't even give off light. When Christ comes back as judge, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. And he went on a journey. So this parable is about this wealthy man. He's going on a business trip, a vacation, we don't know, some venture. But he's going for an extended period of time. And the text says that each servant, or we might say each employee, was given note each according to his own ability. So don't conclude, by the way, because one is given five and another is given two and another is given one, that he is being unfair or unequitable. If you draw that conclusion, then you're reading more into the parable and you're ignoring the, the, con- the, co- the context and really what we even do in our own day. He is not giving preferential treatment. He is honoring people according to their ability. Now, I admit there are some people who get passed over for maybe an increase of promotion or rank or whatever it might be, and, and unfairly so. But some get passed over and they complain and they whine and they are big crybabies over it when they don't really need the job. If we go on a medical mission trip and we bring a surgeon with us and you're one that has skill with, say, an IV bag, he's not going to give you the scalpel. He's going to let you do what you can do. And if you're on a mission trip and you have trouble putting a a bandage on a wound or a Band-Aid on a cut and it causes your stomach to turn, they're not going to give you the IV back. (laughs) They're going to let you serve according to your ability. And so if someone does not have the proper skill set for a particular job, it's a good thing to pass over them under those circumstances. So in the context, he's not showing preference. He's showing deference. He's showing wisdom according to their ability. And so if you give five talents, a huge sum of money, to someone who doesn't have the ability to handle five talents, then you're going to frustrate them, maybe even seemingly paralyze them. So if five talents were given, though, to a person with minimal ability, you might frustrate them. So the Lord does it accordingly. So don't read into the text more that is here. Now, a couple of things I want you to see. First, the faithful servants who are prepared. The faithful servants who are prepared. Just as in the parable of the ten virgins, the three slaves fall into two categories. Two groups. First, the faithful servants who are prepared. Look now, if you will, at verses 16 and 17. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. Now, what is clear is that these first two servants went to work with what they have. Verse 16 says they traded with them. And verse 17 says in the same manner, meaning the person with the other two talents, he did the same thing. He traded with them. Now, we're not told how they traded with these talents. Perhaps they loaned the money on interest. Perhaps they invested the money somehow. They bought things. They sold them for a profit. The point is, is they used what they had and they gained more with what they used. 
And there are many really good things that we can say about these first two faithful slaves. The first is their promptness. Notice I have it circled in my Bible immediately. They don't sit on their hands. Well, someday I'll get around to serving the church. You know, I, I meet people sometimes. They've been coming here for three years and they've never joined. Like, uh, or, do we have cooties? I mean, uh, do we have leprosy? Or, you know, what's the problem, man? If not here, join somewhere else. But don't sit on your hands. Invest in the kingdom. They immediately go to work. And second, beyond their promptness, there's perseverance. They don't quit. They hang in there. Because verse 19 tells us that the master is away for how long? For a long time. For a long time. And that's important. B, there on your outline, let's consider the faithless servant who is unprepared. The faithless servant who is unprepared. Let's start reading now in verse 18. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Again, this may sound um, like no big deal, but it is a big deal. And it may sound like a small amount, but it is an incredible amount of money. So I'm given a million dollars, a one talent man, and you're given five million dollars. A million dollars is still a lot of money. One talent is an incredible amount of money. And this third servant does nothing with his master's money. He takes the one talent. He doesn't try to multiply it. He doesn't try to invest it. He doesn't try to work with it. He hides it. He puts it in the ground. He buries it. He dug a hole in the ground, and he did nothing constructive with it. And as we'll see just in a moment here, it was the worst thing this guy could have done. Which brings us to the third point, and it, and it concerns the consequences of the slave's preparation. The consequences of the slave's preparation. Look now, if you will, at verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. So we learn the master returns from his journey, note, after a long time. And of course, the long delay really tests the faithfulness of these men, does it not? Oh, he's not coming back anytime soon. We got plenty of time. No, we don't have plenty of time. Today is the day to serve. We're all one heartbeat away from eternity. Now, again, notice the context. If you go back into chapter 24, there's no slides for it, but I'm just looking here on the page and go back to verse 45. This is another parable. Who then is a faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household slaves to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master so finds doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time. There it is again. And he begins to beat his fellow slaves and he eats and drinks with those habitually drunk. Then the master of that slave will come on a day that he does not expect. And at an hour he does not know. And he will cut him in two and assign him in a place with the hypocrites in the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, just because Jesus has been gone a long time, he's been gone 2,000 years, but he is coming back. And again, this is the danger of replacement theology. God is setting the stage, and most Christians are just fast asleep. But here's the point. is the master returns after a long time, after a long delay, 
By the way, that's what the devil wants you to think, that it's a long delay. And so the doctrine of evolution, which some foolish Christians have bought into, theistic evolution, or they may believe that God literally created the world, but millions of years ago that this is an old earth, that this has been going on forever and ever and ever. Look, for almost 1,900 years, every Jew, every Christian, church fathers, reformers, they said this world was 6,000 years old. But the devil wants you to think millions, possibly billions of years. Why? Because it's been going on for so long, it's going to keep going on for so long, and there's no real point of accountability. And he's won a victory in the hearts of many people because of that. Verse 20, the one who received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. Say that I've earned five more talents. That's 100% return. That's good. He's pleased. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. So notice he calls this man a good and faithful slave. He tells him, well done. And he rewards him in two ways. First, he tells this faithful slave, because he's been faithful in a few things, he'll put him in charge of many things. And second, he says, enter into the joy of your master, which in the context is the kingdom of heaven that he is invited to enter. He was not saved by doing those things, but by the things he did, he proved he was saved. You're saved by grace alone, but the grace that saves is never alone. And so this servant would share in his master's own personal joy. Enter into my joy. That's a relationship with the living God. Now notice verse 22. Also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. Now both of the first two slaves doubled their master's investment by using what they had to the best of their ability. And again, it's important to note here that while this servant didn't have as much, but he still doubled it, they're both given the same accolation. They're called, notice, good and faithful. And so what I think is interesting is he doesn't necessarily um, uh, commend them simply for the fact of how much money they made, but for their character qualities, that they are good and faithful slaves. And of course, that is so different to the third that we'll look at. Notice, too, he doesn't say, well done, good and brilliant slave. For perhaps these men never shown in some spectacular Einsteinian kind of abilities. He doesn't even say, well done, great and distinguished slave. Maybe no one ever knew their name beyond the little town or village they lived in. Well done, good and faithful slave. And again, I'm not against taking this parable and speaking about it in practical ways, but it misses the whole point of what Jesus is saying. Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 5, for the love of Christ controls us, it compels us, it, it moves us, it works through us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, 
but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And if you know 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul speaks of this living on behalf of the Lord as being good stewards of the gospel message that you have been entrusted. Look at verse 24. The one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scatter no seed. By the way, on the day of judgment, God will not see how your church did. He'll not see how your family did. You will stand there all by yourself. I mean, if, he, if it were on that range, then you might say, well, they started with eight, they ended with 15, so I guess they're okay. Hmm? But we stand alone, each one, before the living God. And I was afraid, verse 25, and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. He said it was fear that moved him to do nothing, that paralyzed him. This is what he reasons, and he blames others. That's what unbelievers do all the time. It's not their sin. It's somebody else's sin. Lost people don't live for the glory and honor of God. They live simply for themselves, and they will often take the path of least resistance. See, you have what is yours. I suppose he did more than maybe some people but he didn't do what he could have done. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I would receive my money back with interest. So clearly his master's response to his servant's story it rings as anything as but being true. I mean, if he really perceived his master to be this way, then he would have done the least that would have cost him nothing and put it in the bank, wouldn't even have to guard the hole to make sure no one found it. And when the master came back, he could have had his money with interest. But with the strongest of words, notice I have it circled, he calls him a wicked and lazy slave. And he's lazy because he doesn't serve his Lord. Where someone who loves the Lord, the scripture says they are zealous for good deeds. By the way, we don't typically think of laziness as a sin, but it is according to scripture. Oh, we say adultery and murder, and theft, but laziness? The third servant, he completely rejects the instructions of his master. He pretends to obey, but he doesn't really obey. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. That's a wise decision because the one who has 10 talents he is likely to again multiply it. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance, but for the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Now again, sadly I've heard too many sermons where pastors and commentators deal just with the practical. In my judgment, they miss the whole focus of the eternal. And so we talk about, you know, multiplying your financial assets for Jesus. You know, give a tithe to the Lord, and you should, but multiply your assets for Jesus. 
And we miss the greater eternal emphasis of this text. Again in verse 30, throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, an idiom used to describe hell. And in the broad of context, that's what he's speaking of, of this coming judgment. Look back in chapter 24 and verse 48. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, and he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, so the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect and in an hour when he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and assign him to a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Likewise, in the parable that follows, the parable of the ten virgins, Jesus said, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert, for you do not know the day nor the hour. And likewise, in this parable, there's eternal consequences to not knowing the Lord as your Savior. Throw the worthless slave into outer darkness. Let me ask you a question. What is it that is of the greatest value to you? You know, people come to meet the pastor, and sometimes folks who come are saved, and usually at least half, and I'll say, look, the presentation I'm going to do, you're going to find helpful, because if you haven't led anyone to Jesus in the last two or three years, you can, and you ought to, and so let me maybe give you a way in which you can lead someone to Christ. And I'll often say, what's the greatest thing that ever happened to you in your whole life? And if they're saved, they'll say without stutter or stammer the day I was saved. I mean, what's more important than that? Well, if that's the greatest thing that could ever happen to you in your whole life, what's the greatest thing you could share? How somebody else could come to know Jesus. And so, really, the stewardship that the Scripture is speaking about concerns eternal things. Stewardship of the gospel. God has entrusted something to you. He has given you the gospel message. And he wants you to use it for the glory of God. Why did Jesus come? To seek and to save the lost. What did he commission us to do? To go into all the world and make disciples, converts, preach the gospel to every person under creation. This is the only explanation as to the guy with the one talent was judged and ultimately consigned to hell because he just took the precious talent that his master gave him and he buried it. Here, you can have it. I don't want it. In essence, Jesus is saying, if that's how you see me, someone who's unmerciful and harsh, and you reject what I have provided for you, salvation, then you can go to hell. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, Paul says, and we are to use it. Now, how can we apply this text? Let me suggest three applications as we close. Number one, God has not entrusted the same number of talents to each one of us. Some of you may be thinking that you're not a pastor or an evangelist or some professional when it comes to sharing the gospel. Now, you may not be a Billy Graham or a pastor like me, but God wants to use you where he has placed you in your sphere of influence to touch those who are lost we're all to be about our Father's business and sharing the good news, even if you bring just one person into the kingdom. I went into the ministry in 1978, and I've been able to use the best hours of my week since that time to share the gospel, and God knows I've shared the gospel with thousands of people. And while I was out in ministry, my wife was in ministry raising our five children teaching them about Jesus, 
giving me a platform of credibility from which to minister. And she has spent a large portion of her life building into women so that they can be successful in that process. And she may have not seen as many people come into the kingdom as me, but I have no doubt the Lord will say, well done, thy good and faithful servant, and her reward will probably be far greater than mine. Wherever God has planted you, he wants you to bloom. He wants to get a good return off of your life. And it's not so much a matter of quantity as it is faithfulness. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Second, I am reminded from these two parables that some people are externally followers but not internally saved. Now, whether it's the five foolish bridesmaids who dress up like the five prudent bridesmaids and still the door was forever shut, they played the part, but they lacked the heart. Whether it's like the slave with the one talent who claimed to be a servant but who had no real heart for his master, there are people who profess but who do not possess. They go to church, they sing the songs, they give their money, they trim their wicks, they play the part, but there's no heart. Coming to church won't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage will make you an automobile or sitting in a Starbucks will make you a barista. You have to meet Jesus. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And in every church, Jesus said, there are saved people, and then there are tares, people who think they're saved, but they've never had the second birth. Third and finally, a day is coming when the door of salvation will be shut forever. For one group not ready, they are out attending to other things, looking for oil, and then the bridegroom came, for another, he was doing nothing when he had been offered an opportunity and then the master came and time ran out for both of them. Look, one of two things will happen. You're either going to die first or Jesus is going to come back first. So the message is, are you ready to meet God? And if you're not, you can't come on your terms. We're sinners worthy of judgment. We must come on his terms through the blood of the cross and the resurrection that declares him to be Lord. Have you ever done that? You can today. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father, thank you for these timeless lessons that you've given us in Scripture. May we have hearts to hear and more than just to hear, but to respond and to be changed by the truth that we've been exposed to today. We know, Lord Jesus, you are coming back in the twinkling of an eye. It could happen today. We don't know when. But we pray that we would be alert, that we would not be sitting on our hands in apathy, but eagerly taking the gospel that you've entrusted with us in our sphere of influence and to use it for your honor and for your glory. Help someone today who's never met Jesus to call upon his name in faith. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877 787 
7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 023. Remember that you can support the ministry of Search the Scriptures by calling or you can give online at searchthescriptures.org. Your generous donation plays an important role in providing biblical teaching and spreading the gospel. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures. Thank you.